We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to know something she needs. I'll think about everyone you need. I'll hold in it. Things are rooting real now. I'll have you seen you wanting you. Hey. The to ratio. Okay, though. The to ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. When you start murdering protesters, two already, and there's 15,000 other people who've been sentenced to death? Yeah, but also they, they've that, been... That kind of makes people want to stop protesting. Well, that's the thing. And it, it hasn't been successful. Right. And before they executed these young men, they've been killed. They've killed 450 protesters. I think that's the latest number. Um, 65-ish of them are children. Like children, not not teenagers. Ten-year-olds. Um, they have not been able to. I think the thing is that people don't feel like they have anything to lose. So they're like, okay, kill me. We're still coming out on the streets. They haven't stopped. It's been three months. This has never happened in the 43 years of the Islamic regime. I want to do something a little bit different this week because there's an extraordinary situation going on in Iran that I don't feel like is getting enough attention. And my friend, the actor Marjan Marnot, called me and said, there is an extraordinary situation going on in Iran. This is the most important feminist revolution going on in the world right now. The people are trying to end this fascist government that they are that they've been struggling with for decades. And she thinks this time they actually have a chance. She says the world over there right now, it's like what it was in America after the George Floyd killing that just Thousands and thousands of people are out in the streets protesting, except over there in Iran, there is no right to protest. So people are being executed. People are being jailed just for protesting. Marjan has people in Iran that she is in conversation with so she understands what is going on on the ground over there. I wanted to talk to her about what's happening in that world and what we can do about it. So it's my friend Marjan Marno talking about the situation in Iran. 
So you're really in touch and aware with what's going on in Iran, yeah. and it's quite heartbreaking. And the American news media is not really giving us the full picture, but I'm seeing from some people that two people have been executed now who are like in their early 20s right. for protesting. That's right. What is going on? Um, so, yes, the second protester was executed recently, um, and... Both of them were uh, – the first one, his crime was blocking up um, a road for a protest. And the second one was, uh, you know, attending a protest basically. Um, and the important thing to note about this is that there's no due process. The trials are total shams. Um, from the moment of arrest to the moment of execution for both of these guys was about 20, 25 days. This is not a normal system. This is not a judicial system. So this is the latest in what's going on, but um, the major the major story is that um, the the reason that these the reason these kids are on the streets right like seventy percent of the Iranian population is under forty. That's crazy. Whoa. So all these like eighty year old mullahs who are running the country who were not elected who were appointed. By the by, other you know by the supreme leader, they're so out of touch with these incredibly educated, incredibly cool, incredibly young, po this population, right? So um, the way it started was uh, that there was a young woman, a 22 year old woman, Kurdish Iranian woman, um, who was killed while in police custody. Um, she was arrested for allegedly improperly wearing her hijab. And it, this death just lit the country on fire. People were immediately out on the streets. Um, Which is not done. They No, they do. Like in 2009, I don't know if you remember, there was the Green Movement. And yes. it, was about, it was about the vote, right? They, they felt that their, um, the election was a sham and that their vote hadn't been counted. So people went to the, took to the streets. There were mass protests. But it was about... I want my vote to count. It wasn't about down with the Islamic regime, right? Then in 2019, there were also a series of protests because there was um, fuel prices went up by 200%. And already people are really suffering economically and, and they took to the streets then too. The, the thing is though, that this government is so skilled at quashing protests, at quashing all dissent. And for this latest one in 2019, um, they killed like 1,500 protesters, and they were all really young. And most of them were really young. Um, in the span of days, they cut, out, they cut off the internet, and they successfully crushed it. That's what they tried to do this time, but I think people are so fed up, and they are so, they're young people. They don't feel like they have anything to lose. And so they're they're risking their lives. Everybody who's protesting is risking their life. That's right. Every single person, when they leave their house and they, they take part in any kind of form of a dissent, if it's a post on Instagram, this is what's different, too, is that, like, really prominent Iranians, uh, famous actors in Iran, uh, Asghar Farhadi, the director of a separation um, and a salesman, he, he made a, a video that he posted um, online on social media um, in support of these protests, this is very unusual. Those actresses were arrested immediately after posting those 
um, they put, I think they posted, one of them posted a picture of themselves without a headscarf. Um, so, yeah, this is what's different about this right now is that they haven't been able to quash the protests. Every other time they've been successful. When you start murdering protesters, two already, and there's 15,000 other people who've been sentenced to death? Yeah, but also they, they've that, been... That kind of makes people want to stop protesting. Well, that's the thing, and it, it hasn't been successful, right? And before they executed these young men, they've, been kill they've killed 450 protesters. I think that's the latest number. 65-ish um, of them are children. Like children, not not teenagers, ten year olds. Um, they have not been able to. I think the thing is that people don't feel like they have anything to lose, so they're like, "Okay, kill me." We're still coming out on the streets. They haven't stopped. It's been three months. This has never happened in the forty three years of the Islamic regime. Um. And you know the the other thing to note is that yeah it's not just the it's not the executions they're they're going out into the protests and shooting um, pellet guns at close range. There's a we have I've seen so many pictures of people's backs just riddled with um, red marks. They're um, they're shooting uh, specifically in people's faces and their eyes to blind them. So there's a lot of eye um, eye injuries. And they're also arresting them, and uh, they're being uh, disappeared, right? They're arresting them and taking them to und undisclosed places. Their CNN did a really thorough report. CNN has been, like, really covering this pretty well. I would say CNN and BBC, and that's it. <laughs> I feel like the New York Times has been absolutely egregious. Every Iranian in the world hates the New York Times right now. It's hilarious. We, we all canceled our, our subscriptions. Um, but that's another we'll, – we'll get to that. But um, uh, there, CNN did this really huge expose on how they're um, – systemically they're using rape as a tool in in the prisons so not just of girls so um and these girls are being then taken to uh, so there's this one girl there's this one case of this girl Armita Arbasi she's gosh i think she's 20 um and she was arrested at a protest again just like a kid at a protest we've all been to protests right it's just it's just that they they don't have any weapons these are just they just have their bodies and their voices and um she was arrested and then um later i don't know how much later maybe a week or so later she was taken to a hospital where she uh was examined and um had been tortured and and raped and she had like a lot of internal damage because of oh like a Really, really, really brutal rape. Uh, and then her parents were called to, like, visit her. Um, and by the time they got there, they had taken her away again. And this time they had taken her to an undisclosed, undisclosed location. So now it's not just that we have news of this girl having been tortured and brutally raped, but it's also that we don't know where she is. That's like one, like one of the one of the viral things you we keep seeing is like, where is Armita Arbasi? Right, like we don't know where she is. The two journalists, the two female journalists who broke this story, um, one of them took a picture in the hospital of um, Massa Gina Amini, um, 
and the other one reported from the funeral, from her funeral. So those two uh, journalists were promptly arrested, and in September, nobody's heard. I mean, we have no news of them. They're just dark. Two journalists. The two female journalists. And we know what they do to women in prison. So we just don't, we just don't have news of them. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. So, I mean, you know, when you're willing to kill and disappear media, famous folks, actors, uh, you know, regular folks. There's a rapper. There's Tumaj Salehi. There's, he's like a really, really well-known rapper. He's been in prison for a really long time. I mean, all of that is really good at making people afraid. And yet you say people are still out in the street. Like you compared it to the days after George Floyd, when Americans were in the streets of all sorts of cities day after day after day. It's like that in Tehran. It's absolutely like that in Tehran, except that their lives are at risk when they do it. I think really when they kill people, they're, they're having the opposite effect. It's not making them afraid. It's making them angrier. So they're just even more, they're coming out in droves. And the other thing that's really unique about this is that there's, 
unity among Iranians, right? Among the ethnic groups, among the religious groups, among age age groups, among class, right? Like usually there's, you know, people aren't that united among all of these different um, socioeconomic um, boundaries and you know, demographics, but they are very united um, in their desire to take this regime down. And that's the thing, like this is part of what was what was really disheartening about the way that these protests were being characterized in the first month or two. And I think even now it's not really clear, like it's not been made super clear to the West what the Iranians, like on the ground, what the Iranian protesters are are protesting against. And, and they want the end of the Islamic Republic of Iran. This current regime. They want the end of, like, the nothing less than the fall of this Is that regime. possible? Oh, uh, well, we think it is. I mean. You really think that the protesters could? Yeah, I think that they've hit a sort of um, tipping point at this point. Yeah. Um, the regime is, uh, I think they're scared. There was a, there were, they've been hacked a bunch of times, too. It's so glorious. It's so much fun to see how, like, they're just so hapless. Like, they're just, like, these super old guys. Like, and they're getting hacked. And some, this group uh, released this uh, document. It was, like, a transcript of a government meeting. And they say in this document, we are in a media war and we're losing like they know they know that the perception of the, their their perception in on the world stage is <laughs> is sinking right not that it was ever so great but that they are yeah. losing and um they they really have to i mean they have to kill like i don't know half of their citizens more than that. i mean more than that i think these people are going to just keep on coming out on the streets until they get what they want I mean, they they were effect. They did something effective a, a a few weeks ago. They, I believe, it was they announced that now you don't have to wear a hijab. So that made me and many other Americans be like, "Oh, it's over." And then you start, and then you start to hear like, "No, they're still fighting." And I'm like, "Why are you still fighting? Isn't that what you were fighting for?" And like, no, no, no. Not also, wearing the hijab was not the point. But also, that was not real. Um I think what you're referring to is when uh, a few weeks ago they, or was it a week ago that they said that the morality police had been abolished? Right. That's what it was. So the New York Times took a little piece of a of a statement from the attorney general and ran with it and did incredible damage to to this movement. Um, first of all, it wasn't uh, state media denied it. So this one guy said uh, the morality police has been abolished. <sighs> State media denied it. Uh, nobody else confirmed it, and um, it it's not true, <laughs> right? So the New York Times really ran with it, like really went crazy with it. And subsequently, I think I got more texts from my Amer- like my non-Iranian friends on that day that that article came out than in this whole movement. Like yippee, it's so great, isn't that amazing? No, absolutely not. They're and the thing is, to trick you absolutely. And also, it was ahead of. It comes. Um, the timing of it was like right uh, before a day. Uh, three. There were three days of um, strikes. So that's another thing that's been really useful, and um, one of their tactics is to, um, you know, encourage everybody to 
shut their shops and so people are striking. Yeah, mass strikes. Mass strikes. So there was there's three days of strikes. I think it was like December fifth through seventh last week, and um, yeah, they <laughs> so much of the country shut down, and people were encouraged not to spend any money to like choke the regime economically, and that news was um, like a day before that. So there's like, mm. you know, and, and here's the other really important thing to note is let's say they abolished the morality police. Like, let's say it's gone. That doesn't matter, right? They still have the military guard. They have Basiji. They have plain clothes. They have these plain clothes um, uh, policemen or whatever that go into these protests and look like they're protesters and then like shoot at kids. Mm. And also they're... they're um, getting really great like surveillance tools so instead of actual morality police being on the street they're just doing facial recognition and whoever's not wearing a hijab they just go and arrest them in their house mm. so they're it's like let's say for the sake of argument they did abolish the morality police which they did not uh, it still so really wouldn't make so it would make no difference and portraying it as a win for the women of Iran was so damaging Right. right, so damaging. Right, you thought I thought it was over. That good, we can move on to something else. No, but you say this is the biggest feminist revolution of our time. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's not just because it's not about the hijab, um, and I think that that's an unfortunate thing that's also been sort of. Um, portrayed incorrectly in Western media. Um, it's about, uh, you know, the government mandates um, wearing the hijab. That That's the problem. There are plenty of people in Iran practicing Muslims who want to wear the hijab. And they're, what's really beautiful right now is we're seeing videos of, you know, women wearing hijab, hugging girls, with their hair out, right? Or I saw a really amazing video of this woman with hijab braiding the hair of a young girl. And, like, that's the kind of unity that we're talking about. It's not about hijab. It's not about wearing the hijab or not. It's about being forced um, It's about being forced to wear the hijab. But also, way, way more importantly, it's about uh, basic freedoms, having basic freedoms, right? They have no freedom of speech. They have no freedom Women. of assembly. Yeah. Uh, everybody. No, everybody. Nobody has freedom of speech. Nobody has freedom of speech. And um, freedom of assembly. No. They, you know, you can't, um, there's, there's no, um, there's no dissent, right? There's no public dissent. Like, um, I think we were talking about it earlier. There's, um, Filmmakers, for example, you know, they have to have their scripts, their scripts have to be submitted to the government and read, and then they're heavily, heavily censored, which is why you see so many movies about children coming out of Iran, because it's easier to make a movie about a child um, to escape, you know, all of the things that get censored, all the storytelling that gets censored. Um, so there, you know, and then in terms of uh, the status of women in Iran, you know, their testimony is worth half of that of a man. So the way that plays out, for example, in like a rape case is, okay, I'm a woman and I say, I, this guy raped me and the guy says, no, I didn't. Well, my testimony is already is worth half. So I'm never going to win. Right. That's like <laughs> almost all rape cases just get totally thrown out, right? They're, um, they have very, very um, 
They have very few rights when it comes to divorce, inheritance, custody. You know, once your child is over seven, you know, if you if you divorce, you don't, you know, you're not going to get custody of your child. Mothers um, don't get custody of their children. Wow. I mean, not by default, right? You have to. I mean, if the I think if the if your husband allows it, your ex husband or whatever. But yeah, the, everything has to go through. If you want to travel, if you're married and you want to travel internationally, you have to get the permission of your husband. Um, you know, if your uh, husband dies, you don't. There's like all sorts of backwards. You don't get his money. The inheritance laws are super backwards and um, skew towards all skew towards um, men. So that's that's so these a, are the things that they're really that's the real for. problem. Yeah, that's those are the real issues. But I don't think that that's as like sexy a headline as women are burning their headscarves. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a. I mean, there's definitely a lack of concern for what's going on there over here. You're feeling that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't you? I mean, like, Ukraine, the Ukraine issue is very important. That's and right. It's very, it's very front, prominent. It's front of mind for Americans. Um, there are other international conflicts that, like, we glom onto, we think about, we, you know, make banners for, hashtags for, we talk about. This has not become one of those, even though this, as a major feminist moment, would seem like, like, look, you know, you want to stick it to this regime that we've been hating as Americans for decades. Like, like, here's our chance. And yet we're like, we don't care. Well, I think in the beginning, the problem was that they were still trying to maybe hash out their nuclear deal. And so they, you know, they can't be condemning a regime that they're trying to negotiate with. Mm. Once that, I think, I mean, <laughs> my lay person's opinion <laughs> is that once it became clear that these protests weren't going away, that's when the U.S. started to make a, make statements. Kamala didn't make a statement until a month into the protests. Biden, I think, said something early on about we're going to help Iranians get access to Internet. But he didn't condemn what was happening or say – he didn't say anything in support of the protesters for about a month, mm. um, which was you know, perplexing to the rest of us. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. U Ukraine definitely seems to be front and center. Um, I think the nuclear deal was part of why it wasn't um, really being promoted in the press too much or being um, – that the government, our government, wasn't super vocal about it. Well, I think there's. I mean, I also think there's two things of that. That it's difficult to get some of the reporting and some of the That's images right. for sure because people who are over there don't want to be talking publicly about what's going on because when they do that, they're risking their lives. And also, a general American not really caring about what goes on in the Middle East. They're all savages. They're always fighting. Who really cares? I think th I think both of, both of those things are right. Yeah. Um, it's quite. I mean, it, it, in a situation like this, the thing that moves you from protest to we are overturning the regime is probably help from the rest of the world, right? So you wonder, totally. will the rest of the right? And you have to do that elegantly right like we cannot send Amer we would not send american soldiers in no 
right, to a civil no, war type situation. Right. Is it a civil war? Can we uh, say I, not really? I, I mean, I guess it's being characterized as a revolution. Mm. But when the... It's not a civil war because they don't have arms. I mean, they're just people. Right. When the government says... When the, when the military says we're not protecting the institution anymore, that's the moment, right? Then that right that's that's what you have to get to, right? Yeah. Then 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 the the leaders, whatever country it is, then, then they, they're then they're running to Venezuela, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're waiting for. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals. Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. That it's, um, it, it's, it, we are very, very hopeful. Like, I, I think that this, I think that it, they have reached such a tipping point and they will not stop. They're not, they're just not going to stop. And so we have no choice but to, and as the international community, to support them by amplifying what's going on. You know, um, I was with a group of women. Uh, we went to Geneva to the UN um, Human Rights Council uh, ahead of their vote. They were voting to, they had like, they scheduled an emergency vote to create a fact-finding mission to investigate human rights abuses in Iran. And they had to get, you know, the majority vote of, for, of how many, however many member states. And so we went as a civil society group to um, try to lobby these member states to vote in support of creating this fact-finding mission. And it was a, a, it was a one, first of all, it was, it was inc- incredibly interesting to see you know, what they knew, what they had heard, what they hadn't heard. You assume, you know, it's the UN, they know everything, you know, it, I mean, they have to keep track of so many countries, right? So, so they were um, happy to hear our testimonies from women on the ground, from the women we have been speaking to directly. Um, they voted uh, to support this and they did create, or they are now in the middle of like hiring and budgeting and doing the whole thing for this 
a, a fact-finding mission. And I think that that was an amazing signal to the people of Iran that the international community is listening and watching and cares. And I think that also emboldens them. That's like incredible for their morale. It's incredible for their you know sense that they're not isolated, they're not alone, they're not forgotten. Um, similarly, right now, um, we're doing the same kind of work um, right now at the UNHQ in New York, ahead of this vote um, that the commission, the UN has a commission on the status of women, and it's you know this global body that's committed to women's empowerment, right, and setting the standards for women's empowerment and equality across the world. And the Islamic Republic of Iran sits on this commission, so um, they have brought forth a vote to um, what on whether or not to um, kick them out of this commission. And so we're doing the same work right now. We're, we're just trying to lobby with all these member states. And that's one of the arguments, what, what you just said, that we're using, which is that, you know, it's really important that we send a very strong signal to this regime that there's a limit to what the international community will tolerate. Um, I think these are the kinds of things that, that we have at our disposal. Um, you know, maybe the next step would be recalling ambassadors, you know, like it, it's, this is where we're at, you know, definitely, definitely saying outright, like Biden needs to say the nuclear deal is dead. Right now they're saying the language is, um, I think it's not on the table right now, things like that. Mm. But it's important to the American understanding of anything to have a leader. Who is the person we're focusing yeah, on? Here's Dr. King. Here's Ayatollah Khomeini. <laughs> that that was the person that the, uh, the last revolution was focused on, right? Right, like, right, right, right. As soon right. as the, as soon as it became clear, what's that? We just we want we want a a charismatic revolutionary to right. get behind, right. to interview and to look at and to chronicle, so we understand like and but we cannot have that. We don't have because one. you are you would it's be risking people. your life. No, but also, no, I think it's just that this is the way that this came about. It was just of the people. There is no leader. It's really, it's How actually. How do they communicate? Um, they're just incredibly organized. I mean, they're, they're like, they, they're, they're communicating with, you know, on telegram and signal and via pamphlets. And I mean, I don't even know the half of it. They're so organized. I mean, to get. Uh, nationwide strikes to happen on three on three days, you know that that takes a lot of organization. But there yeah. isn't yet a single voice, like single person who's. I think that's actually. Um, I think it might be a good thing in the end because I, I think that when there is a, you know, we've seen this with in other countries. We see it in Cuba, like when there's one um, yeah. dictator that's overthrown, another dictator takes. What we see with Black Lives Matter, the value of a leaderless, or they would say leaderful, movement (laughs) rather than fixating on one person. I was thinking about Ferguson and how Twitter was really critical at connecting them. And at first they were being very overt about what they were doing. And then they started to get coded, but could still tweet, you know, basically we're going to this street now. And And it was a really a... Uh, a, a growing up moment for Twitter, and I know in the Arab Spring, Twitter was another again like helpful for those folks. They're probably beyond Twitter, or like when in a world where the regime can shut off the internet. Yeah, uh, Twitter is sort of our job in the diaspora. Yeah, 
that's sort of why we're 24 seven. My husband was like, I feel like I never am with you. You're always on your phone. <laughs> and it's because he's like, in the last 12 weeks, you've every time we're in the room together, you're just on your phone. And I was like, I know, I'm so sorry. But that's, we're just living on our phones because yeah. it's up to us to amplify. It's up to us to spread the news. You know, we get basically, they're like smuggling footage out of Iran and then the diaspora is running with it. So we're, we're, trying to that's that's like sort of um what our what our um original uh, purpose was in the very in the first few weeks when no, nobody was covering it i know some folks might be thinking well if you live in iran and you're not happy why don't you move but it's not that simple. It's not simple. I mean, you, can't, you they don't have the freedom to just leave the country. No, they absolutely don't. And I don't know if you remember, but then there was like the, you know, our last president instituted a travel ban. So nobody could enter the United States. Um, they could go to Canada. Is that still, is that still on? No, no. But but that was, you know, many years that that, that was like a very, dif- it was very difficult for Iranians to come to the U.S. or, or impossible. Um, it is ver- it's very hard to uh, move freely, to travel freely in the Middle East. Is this only happening in Tehran? Is it nationwide? It's nationwide. So these strikes and protests are happening in all sorts of cities. That's why it's unique. It's because everyone's united. Like across all of these provinces, across all of these ethnic groups. You know, there's a lot of ethnic groups in Iran that, you know, ethnic minorities... Kurds, you know, Baluch, Baluch, there's like a different, there's a lot of um, different ethnic groups that um, have really, really united. It's kind of beautiful. What, um, what can we do, Americans who care? What can we do to help? Well, here's the thing. I actually, <laughs> we're all kind of remarking on how little people who aren't Iranian are even posting about this, right? So, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody is posting about Ukraine. Everybody posts about, you know, Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody posted about Kanye. Um, but uh, it's really been hard for this Iran story to penetrate the non-Iranian community. So I think, you know, this is the first time in 43 years that it has been possible that it looks like it's there's a glimmer of hope that this regime can be overthrown. That's a signal to the rest of the world about any dictatorship. So they're not the only dictatorship. They're one of the few theocracies in the world, but they're not the only dictatorship. And so, you know, the world is the world is watching and and this is a very significant moment in time. Also, I just want to say the other thing about our engagement as Americans in this story is that, like, in the early 50s, Iran had its only democratic uh, prime minister, Mohammad Mossadegh, and he took control of Iranian oil back from the British. The British were so upset that they enlisted uh, the U.S. and the CIA, and they overthrew this guy. That then meant that the Shah was then put back in power. The people became very, very, very unhappy over the course of the next 25 years under this. The Shah was a dictator. 
and then they overthrew him in 1979. They did not expect an even worse dictator and an even more oppressive regime to take its place. So what we did as the UK and the US in 1953 is playing out now. That was the first chapter. Now this is the last chapter. I'm hoping this is the last chapter. That America set this in yeah. motion. The America and the UK. So, you know, we should care. We're complicit. Oh, my God. The, no- the notion that we are complicit in what goes on in the Middle East. So Americans do not want to <laughs> no, care about that at all. That gets super complicated it's and so complicated. triggering. Yeah. And, but of course, of course we are. And I think in many situations, a lot of Americans would think we do that sort of CIA work um, for the ultimate betterment of America, to make sure that the governments that we want in place are in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see here, no. I mean, the gov- the Iranian government has been consistently a problem for decades and decades. And the work that we did in the 50s has spiraled out of control. And it not it's of no benefit to us and of tremendous detriment to millions of people. That's right. So, I mean, we, we definitely have a history of this. Amazing. Um, beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to say? Because I'm glad you brought that in at the end. Yeah. Um, no, I think just we need really all the help we can get to amplify, especially in the wake of these executions. These executions are going to continue to happen. They're just going to continue to happen until you know, until enough people globally are screaming about it. And if we can sort of penetrate the the non-Iranian mainstream, which I think we're starting to do, um, you know, like Lizzo just talked about Iran at her concert, Coldplay just saying, uh, you know, it's starting to, Harry Styles said something about we stand with Iranian women in his concert, right? It's starting to penetrate the mainstream. Um. But I think it needs to continue, and um, I still I still think there's tons of misinformation out there. Um, I, I think that p- people maybe feel a little bashful about it because maybe they think it seems like it's anti-Islam to post about Iran because they're like burning headscarves. It's not anti-Islam at all. In fact, it's it's these all these people on the streets are they're muslims you know they're they're iranian muslims mostly you know the most of the country is muslim and they're just fighting against oppression so i think that there's a little bit of a hesitance with like um prominent muslims across the world to align themselves with iranians because it looks like oh my god these ladies are burning their headscarves in the streets it, it's like a bad look for for like Islam, it looks like it's anti-Islam. It's it's so not anti-Islam. I really, really want to make that clear. Yeah. So it's not if you support Iranian women, you're not anti-Islamic. <laughs> you're yeah. not Islamophobic. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think I think the very, very minimum that people can do is amplify to help amplify to help spread the word. You know, there are protests going on all the time, once a week in New York, especially. I mean, New York, forget it. There's there's something all the time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know, and we're all so pleased whenever we see someone who's not Iranian there. We're like, what are you doing here? And they're yeah. like, oh, it's my husband who's Iranian. And you're like, oh, okay, right. <laughs> but you know, uh, and and also, I mean, beyond that, you can also write to your representatives and say that like I'm very concerned about the situation. 
situation in Iran. We want to make sure that the the nuclear deal is n- not on the table. You know, like there there are ways to support, um, but the very very minimum is to continue to amplify. It's very easy. Thank you so much to Marjan for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.